There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And I'm so pleased to be back with you again this week. Um, it's our 325th unique episode. I can't quite believe it, um, how those keep um, keep uh, ticking on. Um, but we've got a great guest with you today. I'm really excited about talking with Corey Blake. We're going to talk about vulnerability in business. Um, before we do that, though, um, you, if you listen to the show before, you know, I'd like to mention the show um, previously. And last week we had Scott Kane. And we were talking about run friendly and we were talking about how, you know, kind of getting fitter uh, can really and running to work and um, uh, and cycling to work and going through your own steam rather than using public transport can have a, a huge impact on cities. So we talked quite a bit about sort of cities and, and planning. Uh, and also um, then we sort of got into, um, you know, an amazing system that they've created so people can you know, have places to go and have showers when, so they can run into the office and, uh, and, and also how they're developing such that um, over time they'll know um, where they're the best sides of the streets to run on to avoid pollution and um, also the best routes to, um, to go in so you take in the nice parks and locations like that. So different show last week with Scott Kane, um, but it's very interesting. And um, if you're interested in that sort of thing around sort of your health and your fitness, you're interested in the development of uh, cities, your local environment, community, and also thinking from a work perspective, actually, are we supporting these sorts of initiatives such that we, we build really engaged businesses with engaged people who are getting fit and getting healthier so let's talk about vulnerability and boy that word vulnerability it's um i can remember the first time that i ever recorded one of these shows and, and how i felt and i guess on a friday afternoon i've been a little bit vulnerable now for over seven and a half years and uh, i realized that um vulnerability is is something that um is is um is really important it's important in business it's important um, for anybody who wants to uh, really, um, you know, be courageous and engaging, and uh, be able to uh, really deeply uh, connect with people, and I think there's a sweet spot though, and I think it's interesting that we we should discuss that. You know, how vulnerable do you get? You know, how how much do you share your innermost thoughts and secrets with your your work colleagues? Because um, you know, it could have repercussions. Now, my guest today, Corey Blake, is the founder and CEO of Roundtable Companies. Um, he's uh, a fascinating man. He's the publisher of Con- Conscious Capitalism Press, if you know that amazing book, uh, which I'm currently listening on to on Audible again, actually. Uh, he's a speaker. He's an artist. He's a storyteller. He starred in one of the 50 greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time. Um, some of you may remember Mountain Dew, um, which was uh, uh, linked with the sort of Bohemian Rhapsody uh, Queen film. My, one of my very favorite bands, actually. I've seen them many times. And he's won 15 independent publishing awards. He's been featured on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. Um, Corey's pioneering of the business comic book Gina was fe- was featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, Wired. Um, prior to RTC, he worked for eight days on David Fincher's Fight Club. Um, you may, if you know Fight Club, um, think of Brad Pitt, Meatloaf. Um, he's also starred in commercial campaigns for Fortune 500 companies. 
Uh, his spot for yard fitness, he, he played apparently played basketball naked. So I'm kind of wondering what he's wearing right now. Um, what Ron uh, Ron Belding, Bronze Lion, and uh, London Advertising Awards. He's the creator of the vulnerability wall. He's got clients including Microsoft, ADP, Workday. Uh, he's also created the vulnerability is sexy card game. So um, as you can see, we're going to have a great conversation today. So a huge welcome to Corey Blake. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm just beaming over here, and and um, I am dressed today, just so the uh, the viewers can can rely on that. <laughs> Thank goodness. The, the great thing about this audio, though, you could be stark naked, couldn't you? And nobody would know, actually. Well, there are multiple kinds of vulnerability, I suppose, and one is one we get to enjoy <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, please say we have actually seen each other so far before this. We were fully dressed, so just in case you're kind of wondering, that's um, probably a different program altogether. But anyway, uh, lovely to talk to you. Likewise, <laughs> lovely to be here. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit. You know, what was what was life like growing up for you? I know you're in Chicago at the moment. You know, where 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 you do you originate from in the United States or um, or wherever you were from, and how did that lead to? you know, this um, fascinating career as an actor? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the question. Uh, I, I, I grew up on the, um, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, um, ended up going to L.A. for about a decade and then came back in 2005. But, five. but when I was young um, in the suburbs of Chicago, I, drew up, I grew up in a relatively Jewish community, um, had a very Jewish mother, which is to say that she filled me with her light, you could say. And led me to believe that I was um, special here to do something on this planet that is truly magnificent with my time here. And so she instilled in me a tremendous amount of confidence, pretty probably typical in a, in a Jewish household with a Jewish boy, right? And, and yet at my five-year-old um, birthday, we, we had a transition in our family where my mother was struck with severe depression. And uh, as a result of that, her light went out for about a year. Uh, on the other side of that year, she was uh, medicated, you know, in a way that her light came on brighter than ever. And yet, during that, uh, that year-long period of time when her light went out, I truly did not understand the world at all. It made no sense to me in the dark. Um, so that year, though, became the birth of what I now refer to as my gifts, and, and being a performer is one of those. But I had to learn how to read the energy of a room because my mom, who had been the safest person in my world, became the most dangerous. She became somebody who could rage, you know, at the drop of a hat. And so I had to I had to learn how to read my father. I had to learn how to read my sister. I had to learn how to listen to footsteps all the way across the house to know my mother's mood. And ultimately, uh, the, the performer came out as I recognized that uh, when mom was laughing or mom was happier, the house was safer. Life was safer. So that was the the, the birth of uh, what eventually right became this kind of superpower. Like you know, if if life is safer when I'm performing, then I'm going to perform a lot because that simply becomes more comfortable. And I found myself using that tool uh, across my entire life as I grew up through my adolescence. Adolescence. It was I knew how to also like I knew how to. Um, see what was special in other people because my mom had done that for me. And so I could 
help teachers feel, feel special, in which case I got special treatment and likely better grades, right? If I was interested in another young woman, I could find what was special about her, and that certainly encouraged that, that young woman to like me, right? And so um, there's a, there was, a, to some degree, an essence of performance in all of that that was birthed at that time, so it was a natural progression eventually to take that to the stage. And, and I'll tell you, it's one thing to, to be um, recognized as a performer one-on-one, and I, I cherish that experience, but doing it from a stage where an entire room is moved by what I might be creating on stage, uh, wow, that amplification became an addiction for quite some time. Wow, so you really, um, from, it's interesting, isn't it, how we often learn the most from you know, times of adversity and times when maybe you know, we're quite, we can be quite despairing of what's happening around us, but it's often those times that some things start to crystallize and maybe new ways of being. So you know, it's interesting how out of that challenging period of your life, this uh, ability to perform and make people happy um, was derived um, so and how did that? So that led it. You know, your your CV actually is quite incredible, and I think we could talk about it for the whole interview. Uh, but I've got to ask you a little bit about you know what it was like working with Brad Pitt and Pitt and Meatloaf, and uh, what did you learn from them? Uh, it was a, it was an extraordinary experience. Uh, it, it, I continue to to reflect on it, and it was highly influential. Uh, it was eight days, and and um, I was I had I had gotten lucky to be there, of course. Um, I was a non-union actor. I was trying to get into the union so that I could get hired at higher rates and, and do professional jobs. And I wrote, um, I think, a sincere letter to the casting director and asked if she would throw me a bone. That was the language that I used. I'm really, I'm in need of someone throwing me a bone <laughs> and getting me on set because they have to pay a fee when they when they use a non-union actor in a union role. And so they paid a fee for me to, to be there and for whatever reason. And that, that they made sense of that, and I got to spend those eight days there. And and I'll say that it was a, the, the way that people behaved was highly influential. Um, Brad Pitt was I found him to be uh, incredibly generous and present. Um, he would like he he treated everyone as a human being. And um, I don't know what I expected, but I don't think I expected that. And so there was an element of surprise and safety in that. Like he was he was just a lovely human being. Uh, Meatloaf was, was the onset entertainment from my recollection. He was, uh, when he was on set, you know, he was wearing that costume. So he's he looked a little bit um, ridiculous and he loved to play that up. And, uh, but he was, um, he was the funny guy and, uh, and always had the set and stitches. And then I, you know, I didn't understand at the time really what method acting was, but um, Edward Norton, uh, my understanding was that, that he was using a method acting approach. And so he was, I found him to be rather volatile, particularly for the days that I was there, which were a lot of fight days. Um, and I remember him, he would, he would shove makeup to, you know, people off of him and, and he was you know, perceived as, in my experience, rather unfriendly, but I, it, which I thought was, he was just a jerk. Um, only later to really firmly understand what method acting is and that that was a, a choice that he made. And um, I find that to be a tough, a tough call, and yet it's a brilliant performance, right? So ultimately being on set uh, all the time, I would constantly, if I wasn't working, I was watching. I was standing behind David Fincher and you know the, the camera, um, all the monitors where everyone is watching, and I was soaking in as much as I could because production at that level 
every minute is costing a fortune, right? So there's an intensity about it. And it taught me a lot about what it takes to create something brilliant. And, and from that sort of creating something brilliant, you've, you've, you've gone on, you've moved forward, you've um, been involved with you know, commercials and publishing and, and it's kind of led to you creating roundtable companies. And I know it's involved with storytelling. There's this arm, which is conscious capitalism press. You know, tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, what that, what that is now and, uh, and how you help people. Sure. So I, I started, uh, RTC was my third storytelling company. The first two that I created, um, I did a lot right. And we created some, some beautiful films. And, uh, but in each of those situations, I, I did something that uh, imploded the trust that I had a fir- very firmly established with the people I was working with. Um, the first time uh, uh, dating a, a married woman who I was working with. Right, there were uh, nine of us who were putting together a film, and and uh, I fell in love with one of them, and thought that I was the the hero in that relationship because she seemed to be very unhappy in her marriage, and uh, and so because I, I thought I was the hero, right, I, I I felt justified and behaved accordingly, and and when that secret came out eventually, it it really imploded the company and and all that trust that I was building, and we had shot a, a phenomenal short film, we were winning awards for it. And because I blew up that trust, everyone wanted to stick it on a shelf, right? So I had to I had to learn lessons like that um, in order to eventually figure out how to build a creative company that uh, that was relatively drama free and keeping the drama in in what was created. So as a company now at RTC, we say that our our purpose is to help tell the story behind yours. We're incredibly purpose centric. Um, our goal is to utilize performance and entertainment, the things that open up human beings emotionally, we want to use those responsibly, right? Back when I was an actor, I would use my talent to encourage kids to drink Mountain Dew and eat cheeseburgers. And there came a point in that trajectory where I had to reconcile that and eventually had to leave, right? Because in my opinion, I wasn't behaving responsibly with my gifts. And so what we do now as an organization in helping individuals and helping organizations, whether it's to write the book they're born to write, to create the storytelling ecosystem around their organization, um, or to uh, to help them uh, with the story around their event or the event experience that people are having, any way that our storytelling shows up, uh, we are always looking for the way that it can be done authentically, representing the essence of whatever it is that we are working for, but to do it in a way that is improving the world I love that. It's um, and I love the way you've um, you, you you know love the way you articulate that in in such a way with with your story being linked into you know each of those aspects of writing books or you know um, performing and performance and entertainment but uh, within within organisations help them write that write their story. Um, yeah, it's really um, clear. I know that um, conscious capitalism as well. You know the book had a an, an impact on you. And um, you also have this arm, which is Conscious Capitalism Press. I'm, I'm assuming that's about helping people write the book um, they want to write. But you know how how you know maybe tell us about your link with Conscious Capitalism and how that's you know this Conscious Capitalism is is, is closely linked. I know with vulnerability. You know how how does that link work? Sure. Well, I, I got involved uh, unexpectedly with Conscious Capitalism. One of my clients. 
It's a gentleman named Jeff Sinelli. We were working on a book with him. He's a CEO of a, a restaurant chain out here in the United States. He's got some uh, locations abroad too, a fast casual restaurant. I think he's got 400 locations or something like that. And he was teaching me the concept of follow the yellow brick road. Um, I love the concept. I work hard to, to do it today as much as I can. But essentially um, what it meant uh, to him and to me is, is when someone who cares about you and you respect tells you to do something, shut up and just try your best to do it. And Jeff said to me, you need to go to this Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit. Uh, it's, it's your tribe. And so he said, pay your money, don't ask any questions and show up. And I, I went to the CEO summit. It was, at the time, it was about 250 CEOs and presidents, everyone running organizations, five million and up. And there were many multi-billion organ, dollar organizations in the room. So it's a, a wide variety of professionals. And, um, and by the end of that two-day experience, I had this awareness that so many people in the room had spent the bulk of their life and their their investment dollars when it comes to education in their intellect from a business standpoint, right? And and they were powerful in that capacity. And I had spent my life uh, not from a business investment standpoint, but investing in my spiritual growth, my uh, my understanding of my embodied wisdom and how to be in contact with it, how to read the energy of a room, so to speak, is a very different right gift to uh, to be expanding upon through my life. And so. I felt like um, so many people in the room were trying to figure out the consciousness piece. And here I was trying to figure out the capitalism piece. So yeah, by well, the end, <laughs> please. That's no, okay. No, I, I, I think that's um, sort of getting that. I'm just very, got a little bit mindful of the time. So we've got about 30 seconds for the last, last bit of this. <laughs> we, we, we can come back after the break. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, the <laughs> Conscious Capitalism Press, we, we, we developed as an umbrella for all of the wisdom that's contained within the movement. Thanks. Um, well, we're going to we'll come back and um, really sort of talk a little bit more about that after the break. But I want to also get into vulnerability and you know, really understand you know why is this so important um, at work. And I think you've been very vulnerable, Corey, and uh, very open in the way that you shared with us about your mum and about this relationship. And actually, you've had businesses that uh, have failed as well as been successful. Um, and, um, and and I sort of love the way this um, this metaphor is sort of playing out at the moment. So let's uh, let's come back. Let's talk about more about vulnerability and how we can really work with it to, like Corey's doing at the moment, to really, really engage with people and uh, and create businesses that we're really, really proud of consciously so we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? 
Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Corey Blake. We're talking about vulnerability and we're just having a little laugh, actually, because um, Corey was, I was asking Corey, who, which one were you in the Mountain Dew Bohemian Rhapsody advert? And apparently the one on the left who, who did the high note, which um, is very high note, hard to sing. I, I think in the, in the movie, if you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody, it's quite a, a funny moment that when they, so how many takes did it take to get that one right? Oh, goodness. Um, you're, you're charging my memory. We shot that for three days. Uh, I, I would imagine quite a few. Now it was a, it was a taped soundtrack that we were that we were lip syncing to, but it was uh, it was a huge. It was shot on 20th Century Fox's lot. Uh, there were 300 extras, you know, holding the candles, uh, holding up their lighters at the end. It was a it was a big production. Sam Bayer was the uh, director who had shot the Nirvana "Smells Like Teen Spirit" video. He's a prolific director, so it was a big deal. Excellent. So from from that vulnerable moment, let's talk about talk about business then, and um, it's our business, of course. Um, but why why is um, vulnerability so important in the business environment? So you know, what I find is is that uh, we're all human beings, of course, who are you know, powering any given business. It's all run by people, and we have a tendency in the workplace to not communicate about the emotional backpacks that we're all carrying throughout the day because life fills them up. And as we get older, they, they can get heavier. They can get heavier at any age, I suppose. But there, there's always something in the backpacks, right? And, and, and when we're not aware of uh, what each other is carrying, um, I think as human beings, we have a tendency to be far less compassionate. We have a tendency to blame one another, Right, and uh, and we don't solve problems from uh, from a spirit of of collaboration as easily when we are aware of what each other is carrying, uh, of the challenges, and we're aware of them from a place of of true caring. Uh, the way that we can solve challenges, the way that we can support one another, the way that we can approach the needs of the work that we're doing together changes monumentally. So, I what we've seen is that. Uh, vulnerability and creating an ecosystem where it's safe to be vulnerable within a business context is a lightning rod for higher productivity, for greater engagement, for loyalty, right? And certainly it is a, it can be a provocative tool 
to, to use in the marketing of an organization to be vulnerable about what an organization truly stands for in a way that polarizes the, the audience uh, of that organization, whatever that is, so that the people who are most appropriate for it come running towards them in a magnetic fashion and people who are not appropriate for that business, who belong in another sandbox, move in another direction and don't waste the resources of the business. Mm. I think I think t- today, I think, you know, even though the world is, um, you know, there's a lot of what feels like um, politics and division, you know, I think deep down, most people today and you know moving more towards that desire for sort of connection and caring and you know respect and love and uh, and you know, I guess if we create our environments at work whereby you know some of these really deep rooted needs that people have are present and um, which you know we require vulnerability then you know we're going to feel um, you know much more more human and more wanting to be a part of something and you know, more moved by something and, you know, and prepared to be part of a, a movement if we feel good. Um, you know, is that, is that your sense? Do you think we're moving towards, uh, you know, people recognizing that at a, at a, at a deep level, um, you know, versus the, a system which might be about short-term profit and <laughs> often? And Yeah, yeah th- well, I, what, I, what I think um, social media has, has inadvertently taught us um, it, our BS detectors have have gone through the roof, right? We realize that when we're scrolling through Facebook, for example, we know that everyone is broadcasting a, a one-dimensional image of their life, and we look through it anyway. We're not we're not pushed away from it, but we know the difference. We know it's occurring, and I think that people are aware of when they are being broadcasted to by businesses now in a new way as a result of that. So yes, I think there is more authenticity, certainly in smaller organizations that uh, where where they're they might be less driven by fear. Um, people are pushing into more authenticity, and I think that they're getting a great reaction. As organizations get larger, as you get boards involved and you know shareholders, et cetera, there's more to lose, and so there I think there are substantially greater hurdles to vulnerability. Uh, over time, I, it seems trajectory-wise that they will be challenged to figure that out. So, how, how do you go about creating an environment there for with you know, with that sort of context that you just described, which you know it does become very trusting and and, and it does have that ability to to be vulnerable without repercussion? Yeah. So, it, uh, I think first off, it's important to recognize that it's a long-term play. Um, there are certainly ways to expedite the building of trust and create spaces where vulnerability is more possible. But it is, a, for, a, for a brand, it's a lifestyle choice that we're going to start learning how to behave this way. It's very much a practice, um, like going to the gym, you're, you're preparing for this quadrathlon, right? Like there are, there are many practices that you have to engage in in order to prepare yourself uh, to perform, and I think vulnerability is very similar. It is a there are so many different uh, uh, models that can be used to help support a, a vulnerable ecosystem within an organization. But just to, to kind of throw out initially, um, uh, it's it's incredibly important for the leaders of the organization to start engaging in this work because they set the tone. If a leader is unwilling to express vulnerability, uh, there ain't no way other people in the organization are going to play, right? So, so 
Um, so as an example, in, in our organization, we're a smaller organization, um, uh, around 40 people. Um, it's really important that on a regular basis, I am being vulnerable and leading by example. Certainly, if we're engaging in a vulnerable experience as a group or in teams, um, when I set the, the depth and I set it, if I set it deep, the, the risks that other people feel okay to take, they might not take it to the extreme that I do, but if I go to a 10, maybe they'll go to a 7, right? And and that creates more safety. So there's also, I think, a, um, a an approach around, if you think about it as concentric circles, at the very middle of the circle is determining within the organization where is vulnerability safest to practice and practicing it in that zone and then moving concentrically outwards into spaces that are slightly less safe. If we do that over time, we get to a point where there's a tremendous amount of confidence in how we're approaching it as opposed to people going full tilt, for example, and potentially creating some scar tissue that takes a decade to recover from, if ever. So I think it is certainly something to be careful with, uh, to be delicate with, and um, and to, when possible, even get some professional support with, because uh, there is there is a danger to the work. There's also, I think, a huge potential for a reward. Yeah. So there's a there's a kind of a, I guess, in different situations, a sweet spot with this, then where we just we've got to be careful we don't go over the over the lines, um, but um, but sharing. About yourself, I assume, rather than sharing about others, and let them do that. Is is that correct? Would it be this is more when more talking about being vulnerable and sharing your own stories and from your own experience? But uh, if you start talking about others, and you risk getting into that stage of embarrassment and discomfort and mistrust. Yeah, there's um, one of my one of this my favorite be very kind, of course. <laughs> one of my favorite lines is um, "I'm just being honest," right? Which which um, is a license to be a jerk. <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not, it's not vulnerable while it, 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 you know, it can be positioned that way. So, so yes, I think, um, uh, what we focus on in the, in a, a model of vulnerability is sharing your individual experience. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are certainly methodologies and approaches to, uh, to creating that safe container because it it is it's tenuous. Um, things can go off the rails quickly. Like suddenly, like you said, if suddenly suddenly someone starts thinking they're being vulnerable, but they are sharing about somebody else or their opinion or they're blaming somebody else, but they think they're doing it in a vulnerable fashion, holding the group, slowing things down, um, being able to even stop a situation right and and contain it. That demonstrates to everyone in the room how safe the environment truly is. If we let it go off the rails, we're demonstrating actually that it's an unsafe environment, and then people are not going to be as willing to practice. Mm. I don't, I, but yeah, I've also found this um, vulnerability being something that can be very helpful in a in a sort of sales process as well. I, I in one or two pitches that I've been involved in where I've been, you know, very vulnerable about some um, mistakes I've made and one or two personal things that have happened in my life and actually what it's done it's ended up with people smiling and laughing and then being more open and the, the formality of the situation has dropped and uh, it's uh, it's certainly contributed to, i feel to the success of the outcome um is it a good process for to consider when selling it's wonderfully counterintuitive so um let me i'll use an example uh, and listeners can kind of determine you know are they do they feel pushed away from me or drawn towards me um 
and I think then that'll kind of answer your question around the sales cycle potential. Um, when I was 16 years old, I was um, working at a, a, a fast food restaurant chain and I was a thief. I was stealing from that uh, establishment on every shift. They had a, a, a margin of error on their terminals and I was a drive through operator. They had a margin of error of 2% and I did not make mistakes. I could listen to someone take their order uh, change it five different times before I pressed a key. And so that gave me that 2% margin of error to play with. And I took advantage of it, totally took advantage of it. I increased my pay by 50% in cash uh, on every shift, just with that 2% margin. $1,000 lunch rush was an extra 20 bucks in my pocket. Back then, minimum wage was five bucks an hour, right? So 50% increase. Um, and as I started telling that story later in my life and reflecting upon it, um, I, I would often say that I, I felt remorseful. And I, and I said it, I think, because I thought I was supposed to. But as I started saying it and being someone who can you know, read the energy of a room, I had to start reading the energy of myself. And I recognized I'm lying when I say that. I don't, I don't feel bad. What do I feel? And I had to check in with myself. And Chris, I felt clever. Mm. I still feel clever because I beat a multi-million dollar system, a multi-billion dollar corporation set up. I, I hacked it, right? So in sharing that, I, what, I, what I do is I give uh, the listener an opportunity to judge me, right? I'm not trying to control how they feel about me, right? I'm creating uh, an opportunity on a silver platter for them to say, I knew there was something about this guy I didn't like. That's it. And, and some people might have that reaction. Um, what I find is that most people actually tend to lean in closer and have that, that response of, I don't feel like I should trust you more because you told me that, and yet I do. Like, it's totally counterintuitive. And so when you come back to, like you're saying, business processes such as a sales process, um, it's a trust-building experience as long as it's authentic. We have to be careful because it can be used manipulatively Right, so I think that there's a, a fine line, but if it is truly authentic and coming from the right place, then it's an absolutely uh, advantageous mechanism to establishing a profound sense of trust early on. Mm. I remember, <clears throat> I remember a, a a colleague at a work do um, explaining that he'd um, that he that he was taking cocaine, and uh, and I think that pretty much finished him off in the company. You know, in terms of in terms of being his, uh, you know, he was that vulnerable in terms of he's sharing that, but actually the reaction wasn't good. Um, so I suppose you've got to be a little bit careful, haven't you? I mean, you could uh, may- maybe share if that was was your story. Um, you could maybe share that, but maybe explain you know what you learned from that experience and how maybe you're you've changed perhaps or something sure. like that. Um, then that um, could result in a positive uh, sort of perception but actually i think um you know he, he, he probably would have been better off keeping that to himself if i look back at that scenario because it um he, he ended up leaving in the end because well it's a it's an interesting question isn't it it depends because because by saying it out loud by being removed from the job he might have saved his life he might Absolutely. have lost his job but he might have saved his life by you know when we keep things hidden when uh, when we keep um, things um, se- when we're secretive, we are simply less whole in our lives. Uh, and we tend, and as human beings, we have a tendency to try to avoid those things because they're painful and challenging. 
but they, they fracture us and they make us less powerful in the workplace. So it, it might have cost him his job, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, that it was a, a rock bottom that invited a directional shift that ultimately proved incredibly valuable. For my example, as you were saying, um, uh, yes, it's really important for me to reflect on and recognize. And as a company, um, we recognize, like, I have some weird stuff around money. I just do. Um, it comes from my heritage, uh, Jewish guy, Holocaust, like a, a lot of stuff in the ground beneath me that that resulted before I was even in existence. And so so we're really careful to make sure that um, I don't my weird tendencies don't get involved in business operations. We've actually removed me from a number of things just so that it's not an issue. But we never could have recognized that it was if I didn't start being honest about some of my history. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so that's some of that uh, you talked about. Everybody has a rucksack on the back and different experiences that they bring with them into any any sort of situation. Um, and, and do you, with your sort of storytelling, I mean, would you, you know, that scenario that you mentioned there about the um, you know situation being working at a McDonald's? Um, do, do you do you create stories for people, you know, and uh, and get a sense of where the sweet spot is in terms of in terms of vulnerability? Do you? Or, yeah. Story is always authentic. I mean, our our role is uh, is to carve away all the other stuff and find the true essence of the story, and then the articulation that's that is sincere. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get another commercial break now, and and after the break, we're going to um, obviously continue this conversation about um, about vulnerability, and um, and also I think you know I've absolutely noticed myself. You know, I've, I've run a lot of sessions in in the past where where. You know, we, we create a space for people to be vulnerable, to be able to share, and uh, and it's you know sometimes the reactions that that occur in those those um, sessions are really quite um, quite profound. Um, but I'm kind of interested in how we do that in such a way that we uh, you know we don't lose people in that process as well who uh, maybe um, weren't comfortable or um, or it opens up things for them out of that, that rock set that maybe it wasn't better to do so in the workplace. So anyway, we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Corey Blake. And just reflect, reflecting on the, the conversation that we, we've had, and, and I think I, I think being being prepared to be vulnerable is it, it is a courageous thing and you know courage is important in life and it is important in, in business so you know the more frequently maybe we are prepared to be vulnerable um does that give us Corey you know a, a you know a behavior that is potentially much more courageous and has more courageous moments of living in it Sure. Uh, it's not vulnerable if there's not uh, a legitimate risk, right? And so um, the more that, that, that we practice uh, uh, being comfortable with, with variations of risk, I think um, uh, the more that we learn how we show up courageously. And it's a very individualized experience. Courage looks very different for every one of us. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the experience of, of practicing um, helps us determine our really push up against our comfort boundaries. We don't know what they are. If we if we try to um, intellectually think about or describe wh- where we think our boundaries are, I think I think we're often way off. Uh, we don't truly know what they are until we are pushing against them with a fair amount of force. Mm. Mm. There's something. I think there's something kind of magic in moments of special moments of vulnerability in the workplace and i think i look back through my career when i've experienced those or 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 delivered those they're they're moments where where kind of change happens where you know connectedness um, occurs where feelings of maybe you know more admiration or respect or compassion seem to seem to happen so if, if you're Create, wanting to create these kind of situations in the workplace, uh, what um, do you think are the important things to, you know, to do to set them up in such a way where people can be vulnerable and and also uh, are happy to be vulnerable? What are you, what's your experiences around that? Yeah, there, there are a few steps that I think are are key to setting up a successful vulnerable experience. Whether you're doing it one on one with somebody else or whether it's a group um, kind of experience, maybe at an organization. Um, and and I think the primary key above all all else, well, the primary two. Let me give you the primary two. The one is um, is requesting um, presence from everyone and actually asking, do you have the ability to be fully present? when I share this with you or when we get together and have this experience so that people can truly check in and not just say yes, whether the answer is yes or no, but be sincere about the realities that they might be facing, such as um, I can work very hard to be present and I have a parent who's in the hospital right now and I'm going to be checking my texts. By letting everyone in the room know that or the person you're talking to know that, when you look at your phone, right, the storytelling that goes off in people's heads who are trying to be vulnerable doesn't go off the rails. If you, In the absence of that information, if I'm being vulnerable and the person I'm talking to starts looking at their phone, wow, that is a, that is a challenging moment, right? So we want to ask for presence and, um, and be sincere about our ability 
um, to the degree where if someone can't really be present um, in, in a way that will be successful, then we negotiate a time when they can and we, and we do it at that time. So, so requesting presence is huge. Um, the second big piece is requesting that um, the other person or the people in the group suspend judgment. It's not easy for human beings to do. Um, and even when we say we're going to suspend judgment, it, it, it's, an, it's just a natural part of the human condition. But by requesting it and saying that we're going to try our best to suspend judgment, we can be more intentional. And that creates more compassion in the room. Um, there's also a tendency that as vulnerability starts getting shared, particularly in a group, um, that everyone will feel a certain desire to help equalize, right, and put things back into balance by sharing something as well. Not necessarily that everyone will. Some people might simply play the role of witness in that experience, uh, but there's more likelihood that that this balance will be created so that the person who, sh- who shares or, uh, or starts sharing uh, won't feel ultimately alone in that vulnerability, which can be a scarier place. Mm. I'm, I'm, I did a, a, run a workshop a couple of years ago, and I remember somebody in the group really shared very it was, it was a lot of very open sharing actually and and someone shared very openly and uh, I felt very you know very very well actually and it was a you know it was a memorable moment in that session actually but afterwards she she came up to me and said you know could, could I have some feedback I just feel like I shared too much and um, I'm wondering if I should have should have really done that and I had to, had to give her you know give her some support afterwards uh, because actually I think she shared to the right amount and I think she she uh, you know it, it had been an it had been a new experience to, to be prepared to be that vulnerable but um you know we have to you know we have to be a little bit um careful perhaps to make sure we do give people support as well if they need it afterwards Absolutely. I think this is um, this is where professional facilitation can be really imperative um, when people are because there is there is oversharing. It, it occurs and and it can push people away as opposed to connect people in a greater fashion. So having somebody in the room who can slow things down when they're um, when they're getting to be more intense than the room can handle is is a huge thing. <laughs> uh, um, uh, benefit, and then at the same time, um, I think there is a natural, there is a vulnerability hangover. That's a real thing. I've been through it many times. I will probably have one after we finish this show because I don't usually talk about my money stuff, and and it, you know, it came out. <laughs> so, so I, I had my vulnerable moment today. That's that, uh, that's unusual for me to to go to that place. So. Um, it's important, I think, for people afterwards, for there to be a support mechanism for people if needed. Might be a coach, might be um, someone therapeutic, you know, that's involved in the organization. But having some access to that could be massively beneficial, right? So just an awareness around that. It's not that they need to be rescued, but just having someone to normalize the experience is, is a big deal. Um, but also there's um, uh, people, it's important that after people have an, a vulnerable experience that they do what they would do if they had a, a traditional hangover. Like you want to drink a lot of water, you want to you want to eat well, you want to rest, you want to move your body. Um, all of that helps kind of, there, there is toxicity that can be released because vulnerability carries shame, right? So we, we need to we need to expel that from our bodies. I think that's a very real thing. Mm, yes, and how, how, how do we... So, so maybe you know, I, I'm thinking now about we. A lot of companies do this. They invest in people to go out on programs, programs like yours and and programs like mine. And um, we've all been 
in um, a lot of us will have been in situations where we've we've been um, maybe away for a day or two or three, and we've we've had intense sharing. And what that seems to do, I think, sometimes is it does um, it does create it can create a sense of euphoria actually to release this stuff and 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 talk about it and uh, and we can have like paradigm shifts in in thinking well what can often happen i think is we then go away we go back into uh, full of our uh, full of excitement and feeling like and energized and feeling like we've just sort of been you know cleared out and this rucksack's gone off our back and with this new smiley person but we go back into the same world and the same relationships and there could be a clash can't there how, how do you deal with that when when you go back into back into the what can be perceived as the real world and and how do you make sure maybe a little bit of that still rubs off on that world, you know, rubs off on the world? So it, it also come, moves back to a bit more towards where you are as well. So I love the question. A um, couple of things are, are top of mind for me. One is greatest piece of advice I've been given around uh, these kinds of experiences when we return home is to not uh, dump the entire grocery bag on the table with our loved ones, yeah. but to actually start by, by asking how their time was while we were away right? And, and catching up with them. And then you, you take a couple things out of the bag, one or two at most, and you unpack it slowly over the next week or maybe even longer. I think that experience um, helps make it less jarring for those we love. But at the same time, um, I had an experience with my wife um, when I was turning 40. I'm 45 now. When I was turning 40, we were eight years into our marriage. I was pretty aggressive on the personal development track. Um, I like my foot pedal, you know, I like the gas pedal to be to the floor. And my wife did not come from that orientation. And I got to a point where I recognized if I continue to do this level of work, I was going to look behind me down the train track and I wasn't going to be able to see her anymore. We were going to be too far apart in our personal development. And so that became a catalyst for us to work through and find uh, something we could do together. So I think whether this is an, at the personal level or the organizational level, going through these experiences together is monumental because we have to learn how to manage ourselves when those uh, that we are working with or that we care about at a personal level, when they expand, when they become more whole by doing this kind of work, energetically they get larger. Right. And so there's an intuitive thing. Like when we're in a room of people doing extreme vulnerability, for an example, which we do at our company at times, when we practice that and somebody has a breakthrough and gets larger in energy, I can I can look around the room and see everyone's intuitive reaction. And some people get smaller, just they shrink. Some people get bigger, but not necessarily for good reasons, but out of protection for themselves. Right. And it's an energy thing. So learning how do we manage that ecosystem so that that person doesn't go back to the size and the shape that they were before, like you're talking about. How do we keep them in a zone where they're more powerful? Well, that requires attention and awareness to be paid to the full ecosystem, whether that's a relationship of two people or, or a team that's working together. Excellent. So I've just got a few minutes left now. The interview is almost over. And wow. I'm wondering how, how you sort of best engage, you know, with uh, how people best engage with you and and um you know how you can help them with your business we've just got a couple of minutes sure well vulnerability at the end of the day is all uh we look at it all through the lens of storytelling what are the stories that are powering us what are the behaviors that result uh, right and then and then what are the results we generate at an organizational level if we go back to the stories and we get vulnerable 
we find that the stories are relatively manufactured oftentimes, um, right? They're not necessarily accurate and they're not necessarily in service to us anymore. So we look at what are the stories that are ready to be revised at that level diagnostically so that at the end of the of the road, results can change for an organization. Sometimes that's helping someone write the book they're born to write, particularly a leader who's found a new sense of purpose, right, and has to figure out how do I get my company with me? <laughs> I got a thousand employees and I, I got to bring them into this, <laughs> right? Um, sometimes it is a culture change initiative. Sometimes it's an event where we want to create um, uh, recognition of, of our mutual stories, right? When I share my vulnerabilities, we become the same as human beings as opposed to all the hierarchical intuitive mental gameplay that happens when we are not being vulnerable. So all of that uh, is the land that, that we play within and, um, uh, and it's, it's truly uh, our purpose and my purpose as a human being on this planet. Excellent. Well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Corey. And uh, I think this is such an important subject, it's vulnerability, and I think it can really you know build greater engagement i think we've got to you know, just be mindful where the kind of lines are and um, and, and take it step by step as you've uh, you suggested and maybe you know in, introduce this but it, i think it can become a real kind of cultural point of difference as long as we're um, say just sort of sensitive with with it so uh, yeah it's been really fascinating talking to you i um wonder if you've got a sort of final message that you might like to leave us with um, my wish for everyone is to is to know what they stand for, to know their superpower, um, and get into touch with it. And so um, I, I wish that for everyone. Um, if they want to visit roundtablecompanies.com/purpose, I walk people through a, a guided experience to actually uncover that. Um, the world is different when you know why you're here. Uh, thank you, Corey. Great, great. Roundtablecompanies.com. I also want to say a big thank you. I've enjoyed talking and, and getting to know Corey. And I want to say a big thank you to my my good friend, Stephen uh, Morris, who introduced us. Um, Stephen, you may recall the interview on curiosity and the artistry of engagement. Uh, so thank you very much to Stephen. Um, also on next week's show, I want to say um, we've got Anthony Steers. Uh, we're going to repeat the show that he did on on um, selling over the phone because I think um, Anthony certainly helped my business. He's a super guy. And uh, I, I learned a lot by working with him, and I think it's something we we don't necessarily do well. How do we communicate over the phone and authentically share our, our products and services? So I'm going to have a, a, a week off from the show next week. Um, and then um, I'd also like to say thank Business Growth Bureau as well, who've also um, helped um, help support the show. And, um, and I think just after the show in a couple of weeks, we've got a, a gentleman called Mike Symes, who's a uh, an absolute expert when it comes to marketing and supporting businesses um, through their sort of marketing processes. So once again, huge thank you to Corey Blake. Um, really fascinating show and fascinating um, guy. And um, if you've got any questions or comments, please send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Or I'm sure you can through the links on the website. If you want to look to employ Co- um, Corey at Roundtable Companies, then uh, do go and check that out. Thanks very much. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.